Hello and welcome to Embassy City Church Podcast. This is a place where all people can experience the love of God through the Word of God. Our prayer is that you will be inspired and transformed. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to be talking to you today from the subject, Trust the Process. Somebody say, Trust the Process. Amen. Today marks my 20-year anniversary of preaching my licensing sermon. My very first message was 20 years ago. I was supposed to hear somebody go, oh my gosh, you look so young. (laughs) What happened? Yes, I was eight when I preached my first sermon. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I was in college. (laughs) I was in college. And so, you know, this last... Uh, Several weeks as I've been reflecting upon that, I've been extremely contemplative about um, what this has meant, where I thought I would be 20 years ago, what I thought the call would look like, the hopes and the dreams that I had, some that have been actualized, some have been exceeded, some didn't show up the way that I thought that they would, some things didn't turn out the way that I thought they would. And so I was thinking, well, I have an opportunity to be in one of my favorite churches in the world on this blessed anniversary. And so I am going to share with you some insights and a bit of my own testimony, if that's okay with you. The message, however, is trust the process. I'm going to be reading out of a very familiar passage of scripture. Many of you will know it and you know it by memory. You may not even have to turn to it, but the word is alive. So, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I'm going to be reading from a few different translations. I know your customary translation here at Embassy City is New Living Translation, and it reads as such. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will tell you which paths to take. The New Revised Standard Version reads as such, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will straight make straight your paths. The New King James Version, which I'm sure most of you are the most familiar with, reads as such, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path, and he shall direct your path. 20 years ago, I was studying abroad in Ghana, West Africa, um, during a really interesting developmental season in my life. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents were uh, hippie, black Hebrew Israelites. It was the 70s. Uh, (laughs) I was born in Houston, Texas. They met at, yes, mm -hmm. they met at Texas Southern University, my parents, and this was, you know, through the dawn of uh, pan-nationalism and uh, black nationalism, and so Hebrew, the Hebrew-Israelite tradition uh, was you know, what they married into. And so, you know, we studied, we observed Yom Kippur, the Passover. Uh, We did very traditional Hebrew um, rituals and customs and ceremonies. Um, I have a Hebrew first name and middle name. And that was my tradition. 
very appropriate foundation for salvation. When I uh, was a teenager, I got saved. My godmother um, was the first person that really started taking me to church on a regular basis. And I didn't have, I wasn't theologically sophisticated enough to know that I was having a conversion experience, but I was. And I loved church. I loved the word. I loved to study. And when I was a sophomore in college, my father died of a massive coronary unexpectedly. He was 45. He would have been 68 on Friday. And I buried him three weeks before his 46th birthday. I was heartbroken, devastated, and crushed. And as with many heartbreaks, the Lord drew drew me closer to himself. And it was in that season of recovering from that traumatic loss that the Lord called me into ministry. It was out of the blue. I was an unlikely candidate. I had no frame of reference for it. I had been in ministries where I'd seen strong women in ministry before, but never, you know, young. And I was in college and I was in a sorority and I'm having a good old time. And so by the time, you know, this thing comes out of the blue, you know, I really needed to really try to figure out how what life was going to look like as a young woman. And it was peculiar The road has been laced with many surprises, many joys, incredible victories and testimonies, and also darkness, seasons of isolation, seasons of depression and heartbreak. And through it all, the Lord has been faithful. I mean, faithful. And as I reflect upon that today in particular, I recognize that one of my mantras really has been to trust the process. Even when it doesn't look like we expect it to look. And so here we are and we arrive at the text, which I consider a paradox. Because the encouragement and the admonishment is linear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. A plus B equals C. And that's how we approach our relationship with God most of the time. You may not have been called into vocational or preaching ministry, but you have been called into ambassadorship. And so because of that, you have been authorized as an agent of the word. You have been authorized as an agent of the testimony of Jesus Christ crucified. And so many of you, you may not have elaborate call narratives, but you've been called into something, some area of leadership, influence and or focus in your families, on your jobs, in your schools, in your churches and beyond. And oftentimes our theology is challenged by the notion that A plus B equals C. If we live right and do right, everything is gonna be right. But what I've come to learn in the process is that it really isn't linear. It's not algebraic, it's not A plus B equals C, it's more uh, geometric. (laughs) It's more cyclical. And sometimes in the process, We have to learn some things and we have to navigate some spaces that we haven't experienced, that seem confusing, and that seem a little bit strange. So if you don't mind, I want to back into this text, if that's okay. 
I want to back into it. The text says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We'll get there, but I want to back into it. And I want to start with this notion of the path. Somebody say the path. Embedded in this text is the idea that when we are called into something and called into relationship with God, that there will be a travel, a journey, that we will be going from one place to another. And so as we are considering our own journeys, I was really thinking through this last night and late last night, my God sister, who um, is an ex-law enforcement officer, um, I contacted her because I remembered her telling me about what it was like to be trained in defensive driving. And how uh, when you are preparing for crisis intervention and to be a first responder as law enforcement is, that you have to be trained in elements of defensive driving. And when I say defensive driving, I don't mean your unholy driving where you're extending hands and fingers and whatnot. <laughs> defensive driving is a method and an approach to driving that keeps safety first. And there are a few principles that I want to share with you that I think will help illustrate this idea of having our paths directed. Is that all right? Because if we're traveling, we have to drive the vehicle. The first principle that she um, explained to me in the training around becoming a defensive, an effective defensive driver is aim high in steering. Somebody say aim high. What that means is that you're trained to look at least 15 seconds ahead of you. So you're not, as the driver, supposed to focus only on the vehicle in front of you, but rather consider and contemplate the drivers ahead of you. Aim high in steering. Always consider what's happening about 15 seconds into the future. The second principle that she shared in the principles of defensive driving is to get the big picture, meaning look out for hazards, look out for motorists, pedestrians, roadblocks, obstructions, signage, issues, damages in the road. Always be scanning to see the bigger picture, not just your own car, and not just the one in front. The next principle is to keep your eyes moving, meaning that a solid and effective defensive safe driver is not setting their gaze upon one thing. Now, I know when the Dallas Metroplex that you guys suffer with a whole lot of traffic, we deal with it in the Bay Area as well. But one of the things that will lock up traffic quicker than anything else is when you're on the freeway and there's an accident and then somebody wants to look and slow down. I know some of y'all do it too. Look and slow down. Gazing and fixing your eyes upon something that's not even really your business instead of actually practicing safety and keeping it moving. Keep your eyes moving. Don't stare at what other people are doing, but maintain quick peripheral vision 
always processing what's going on around you. That's a word. Give yourself an out. That's the next, the next principle of effective defensive driving, where you're able to assess, okay, if there's an accident up here, can I get out? Is there a back road? If it looks like the traffic is, is, is locking up, is there another space that I can take? Is there somewhere else that I can give myself an out in the midst of a hazard? And finally, the last principle is making sure that other drivers see you. That means using your signal. That means keeping your hazards together if you need to use those. That means making sure that your front lights and your back lights are working. Because as much as we like to blame other people for being the hazard, every now and again, we are the obstruction on the road. Hello, somebody. And so as we're navigating our own life and our own walk every now and again, we may be the cause of somebody else's accident. So if we are striving to make our path straight, we've got to navigate our journeys. And I would like to submit to you, people of God, to be defensive drivers, not defensive Christians, not like this but safe, perceptive. And as my God sister was telling me that a defensive, a solid effective defensive driver actually is anticipating trouble and anticipates and doesn't rely on other people's on the path to abide by the law. And so they're constantly anticipating the possibility that somebody else don't have it together but as the individual driving the vehicle, that they have been trained and are prepared for those kinds of detours, distractions, disappointments, and disillusionments along the path. Can I get an amen? amen? I said I wanted to back into the text because I wanted us to look at this idea or this notion of this journey and on this travel and how our roadblocks end up showing up. And I would like to submit to you that oftentimes it is the issues, the heartbreaks, and the disappointments that make it difficult, if not impossible for us at times, to really trust in the Lord with all our heart. Jesus knew the importance of the heart. He knew the importance of the condition of the heart. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, it says, one of the teachers, this is Mark chapter 12, verse 29, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He knew the importance of loving the Lord with all his heart. And that's what he demonstrated throughout his ministry and unto death. Jesus prayed for the hearts of his people. When you came into salvation, we say that Jesus came into our hearts, not our head and not somewhere else crazy. The heart is the most referenced part 
of the anatomy, of the human anatomy in the Holy Bible. In fact, it's mentioned over a thousand times among the 66 books. The ancients had a high regard for the heart. In fact, they thought when they demonstrated and practiced hospitality that they were practicing hospitality through offering food and water to strengthen the traveler's heart for their journey. You'll see that in the text where you see with Abraham and other of our patriarchs in the new, in Hebrew scriptures where they're, being, where they're experiencing hospitality in the homes of other individuals. The belief was that their hearts were being strengthened for the work and the journey of the Lord. They referred to the heart as deep-seated spiritual truths. God sent messages through his prophets to encourage the hearts of the people. When the nation of Israel turned their backs against God's and rebelled, he came and spoke through the prophets to win back the heart of the nation. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about the heart. Because if the text says that we are to trust the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on our own understanding and in all our ways to acknowledge him and that he will direct our path, then it's critical for us to look at the condition of the heart because the condition of the heart will dictate the ways that we process our understanding, which will then um, influence the way that we do or do not acknowledge God and therefore will inform the way our journey rolls itself out. You following me? So let's look at the heart as number one, the physical center of physical activity. Somebody say physical activity. The heart is a muscular organ which pumps blood through the blood vessels of the circulatory system. We know that, right? The blood provides the body with oxygen and with nutrients, and it also removes the body of wastes that happen in our metabolism. The heart is located in the middle compartment of the mediastinum. Isn't that an impressive word? The mediastinum, which is the, the, the place in our chest which houses the lungs, and the heart is tucked beneath it. So it's located in this middle compartment of our organs, and when it is sustained, the rest of the body is sustained. Heart health is among the most critical health in our physical bodies. Because once this baby has problems, Everything else has problems. When we're trying to get right and we're trying to get physically fit, what do we need to do? Cardiovascular work to strengthen the muscle of the heart. The heart is the physical center of physical activity. The heart is also a figure and a symbol of depth and things hidden. The Bible says when Jonah fled and landed on the boat and caused calamity on the boat that he was on, and they were like, get out of here, you fleeing from the Lord, get out of here. The Bible says that he was cast into the heart of the sea. We use the term heart to talk about hitting things, deep things, right? When we want to get to the heart of a matter, we want to get to its bottom line. The heart is also the seat of emotional and moral activity. So our virtues reside in the heart, 
We see it referred multiple times in the book of Psalms, where we see that David says, create in me a clean heart that I may be used by you. He also says, teach me secret wisdom in my heart. That's in Psalm 51. He also says, your word I have hidden in my heart. So the heart is a seat of virtues. It's also the seat of emotional function. If we delight ourselves in God, he will give us the desires, those things that make us happy in our heart. It's also the place that when we experience despair, we say we've experienced a broken heart. The heart is also our moral compass. It's the space where we experience our consciousness. When we're seeking and discerning something in our lives and looking for understanding, we often look for, is there peace in my heart? Or is there trouble? Is there a sense of joy in my heart for the things that I'm doing in life? Do I feel a sense of fulfillment in my heart? So the heart is a critical function, the seed of physical activity, the symbol of depth and things that have been hidden. It is the seat of emotional and moral activity. It is also the seat of emotional function and serves as our conscious, our intuition, our knower we normally can tap into the heart. But if we're not careful, our painful and negative experiences can harden our heart and create a hindrance in our capacity to trust God. We saw in Ezekiel where the hearts of the people had been turned and they were in a season of rebellion that the prophet Ezekiel said to them, said to the people through the prophet, a new heart I will give you and will remove from your body a heart of stone. Hardness of the heart is almost always the result of pain emotionally. Some of the deepest wounds, some of the biggest imprints and scars that we have experienced from emotional injury have bruised the heart. And what I've learned in this journey with my family and with individuals that I've had the privilege of serving, that a broken heart can start to manifest itself physically. And now all these physical issues are starting to manifest themselves when ultimately the seed of it, the root of it, is the brokenness that is inside. How many times have we heard when we go to the doctor and they take all kind of tests, they can't find nothing, and, and the doctor will say, well, are you stressed? Are you dealing with some emotional pain? This is an ancient thousands of years it has been proven over and over again as science has become more sophisticated, as intellectuals have become more sophisticated, the fact remains that the matters of the heart will manifest themselves. And so oftentimes disappointment, heartbreak, sometimes the spirit of offense will reside in the heart, start to harden it a little bit. Sometimes the spirit of pride will reside in the heart and start to harden it a little bit. Sometimes self-absorption and thinking just a little too highly of oneself can start to harden the heart 
and start to manifesting itself physically. The enemy thrives on a hardened heart because the enemy knows that if he can attack the hearts of God's people and keep us heartbroken long enough, that we will not trust God the way that we have been designed to. And here's the thing, folks. Heartbreak will come. Trouble does come. Disappointment will show up. It's not a matter of if, it's just how and when. But those heartbreaks are a perfect opportunity for us to draw closer to the hand of God. Those opportunities to see the faithfulness of God because man and woman may fail you. And oftentimes it's not just unsaved folk. It's church folk. My older brother died of a broken heart, never recovered from losing our father. And he died of a massive coronary at church. Couldn't be resuscitated at church. Lord, have mercy. How many of us have been in the company of our brothers and sisters in the Lord and still feel so alone and so heartbroken and are dying spiritually because of what's happening in the heart? Hardness of the heart makes it impossible to maintain a solid point of view and solid faith because faith is not just given at the point of salvation. Faith is a spiritual muscle that has to strengthen the heart. Many of us have experienced some pretty difficult experiences. Stuff didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out. But I'm here to encourage you to trust the process because God is working some things out in you. And in the midst of some of those hardships, in the midst of that spirit of offense, in the midst of that brokenness, God is working out some things. He's trying to exchange with you your personal experience for trust in his word and trust in the fact that what he said he's going to do, he is going to do. If he said it, if you read it, it shall come to pass because he's faithful, he's kind, and he is, you are always on his mind. Always. Somebody here feels forgotten. Someone here has felt forsaken by God. I don't know about you, but I've had some experiences in the last 20 years and beyond that have made me wonder, God, where are you? What is this? I thought I could have seen this coming. And every now and then, he just reminds me that I am his. I am his. And so I want to encourage you, child of God, you are his child. And what was spoken over your life, though some things may have been delayed, though some foolish choices and disobedience may have delayed some things, but it will not deny the ultimate call on your life. You may be disappointed. You may be afraid. And that's the other thing I've learned on this journey. I'm not afraid of fear anymore because fear is not the antithesis of trust. It's not. In fact, fear 
is a really healthy response to issues that we know are bigger than ourselves and issues or experiences that were designed for the hand and the sovereignty and the intervention of God in the first place. Because if we didn't experience fear, we would think that we overcame and accomplished things on our own good. And many of us in this room, we're smart, we're intelligent, we've gotten degrees, some of us have just obtained wisdom, we have studied, we have, we have engaged, we, we mentor people, we disciple individuals, we are leaders in our own right. But that has nothing to do with ultimately the dependence that we have on God. And every now and again, along the journey, along the path and we're experiencing some hazards that have come up. We've experienced some detours, some roadblocks, a curve or a turn that we didn't expect to come the way that it did. And God is yet faithfully there working on our behalf. I need to take my seat, but I wanted to share a little testimony um, I mentioned that my father died of a massive coronary. He had a broken heart. My grandfather had passed away. He was dead 11 months later. The pain and the hurt and the disappointment was a little too much for him. And instead of pressing in and leaning in to God, he really leaned into his addictions to food and drugs. And it took him out. And it broke my heart. And that grief and that loss really, really devastated me. But it was a perfect opportunity to see the Lord heal and pour out healing, sovereign grace. Many of us are struggling to experience this um, exchange of trust with God because sometimes it's inconvenient and it don't really feel good. But we need to Touch God's heart too, because God has a heart and God has a heart for God's own children. He will always have an unrelenting heart to pursue us. He won't pester us, but he will lovingly pursue his children. And his call and word and wholeness for your life, his salvation for you, that was paid for at a high price, high price. It will do what it's supposed to do in you. But we need to learn those things that move God's heart. How many of you are familiar with Gary Chapman's love languages? The five love languages? Well, I'll give them to you real, real quick because I got to sit down, but it's a good book. Get it on Amazon. Couples, you need it now. Order it today. But he identifies... Um, these, these five love languages and essentially the idea and the concept, which I think is really beautiful and pr pr provocative, is that most people have deep capacity for love. We all have a sweetheart, but we speak in different languages. So I'm saying hi in English, and that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody in Ukraine is going to understand what I'm saying because they speak a different language. And so Gary Chapman asserts these five different love languages as ways that people express love. And I want to share them with you or remind them of you because these are some of the ways that we can get to the heart of God.
and love on him and show him that we love and trust him and that we can receive his heart in ours. Is that all right? One of them is spending quality time. Quality time is one of the five love language. Acts of service is another one of the love languages. Giving or receiving gifts. Hello, somebody. Give a gift. Now, they didn't harass you about giving an offering today, but give a gift if you can before you get out of here. Physical touch, physical interaction, human interaction, and words of affirmation. Quality time. We need to be spending time in the word, spending time learning, spending time in prayer. Acts of service. It's one thing to have our personal relationship with God and have our personal faith, but God wants us to act that thing out in the earth realm. We can't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Who cares about how much you can speak in tongues and do all these different tricks and backflips for the Lord, but you can't help nobody. That's a call for somebody to volunteer today. Giving and receiving gifts. God loves a cheerful giver. You want to see the heart of God's people? See what's going on in their giving, not just financially, but in their time, talent and treasure. Physical touch. I love that this church has hug time. And I'm, I work with survivors of sexual and domestic violence. I'm really big on personal boundaries and making sure that we give appropriate touch. Hello, somebody. But it is well-documented medical research that people that experience solid cardiovascular health get five hugs a day and have five belly laughs a day. So you'll get your seven here. You can leave here. You good for the day. You got two on credit for tomorrow. <laughs> and words of affirmation, just loving on the Lord, saying, I love you, Lord. You're worthy. Hallelujah. You are so good. You're faithful and kind. There is no one like you. Your name is the name above all names. I thank you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I bless you because you are a good and mighty father. You're a good, good father. Just giving the Lord some words of affirmation. I guarantee you today, if you came in here with a broken heart, if you came in here feeling and sensing some disillusionment and some denial because you're on your process, but you don't understand why things have turned out the way that it is. If you do one of those five things, give the Lord some quality time, show him some words of affirmation, give him a gift, give him some physical, give him some touch and love others, love other individuals and offer some acts of service. I guarantee you, you will experience the kind of progression where you trust the Lord with all your heart where your understanding will not be specifically only because of what you learned in school and how you interpret your pain. And you will acknowledge the hand of God because every now and then he will show you some stuff that makes it undeniable how real he is in your life. And I guarantee he will direct your path. You're on a journey and I'm encouraging you as you are navigating your journey and you're driving on your path that you be kept, keep your mind stayed on Jesus, the author and the finisher and the perfecter of your faith. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information on our church, please go to www.embassycity.com. We would love to hear from you. Our prayer is that you have been inspired and transformed. Have a wonderful day and come back again.